Good morning. My name is Ben. I am so glad that you're here for the conclusion of our My Amazing Kids message series. I've got to tell you, I've heard incredible things coming from you, this congregation, back to the staff about how parents, young and old, are applying some of these things, even some non-parents applying some of the relational principles from God's Word that we've been talking about. Here are a few things that I've heard. I heard uh, a, a dad of adult children, which is what we're going to talk about today, engaging adult kids. I heard a dad of an adult kid say, you know, I talk to my children every single week on the phone. They, they live out of town. And I always end the conversation saying, how can I pray for you? Or what's on your mind? What would you like me to pray about? And I always, they, they tell me, I always say, okay, I'll do that. And then we kind of hang up the phone. He said, but we've started now saying to them, how can I pray for you? The children tell them what's on their hearts, and then in that moment, the dad and the mom say, well, let's just pray right now. And that's a new dynamic for them, and the first time was a little awkward, but they're pressing into that, and they're already seeing just some enjoyment of each other and change in the relationship happening because they're elevating their role and influence as parents along a spiritual spectrum. I've heard about some men who get together in the morning, and they've been talking about what does it mean to continue to talk to your kids and about the importance of what God says in his word about sexuality and intimacy. And they're talking about how awkward that is and how nobody really engaged them on that matter in a way that was timely and direct and sensitive to where they were. And they're hoping that by these conversations, they can figure out how to engage their kids better so that the value God puts on sex and intimacy gets lived out in their kids' lives in better ways than it was in their own lives. I've heard a couple moms say that they're thinking about what does it look like to not just get the house stuff done, not just get their kids to all the events, but to create moments in the day where their kid has their full attention, not just dealing with the details and the urgent, but an emotional attentiveness. These are incredible things for parents to lean in on. And by doing these kinds of things, these people, and and I'm hoping you as well, are actually taking steps in the direction that God wants them to go. And when they do that, let me just tell you what happens. You get the benefit, when you do that, you get the benefit of God's heart for you as your heavenly father. Because God has given us incredible wisdom in his word for how followers of Jesus can live life and experience the heart of their father towards them. Now, we're going to talk about adult kids, dealing with adult kids. And we're going to talk to adult kids. Many of us in this room, in fact, almost everybody in this room is an adult kid or a near adult kid because we have high school kids in the room. We're going to talk about what does it mean to have an adult level relationship with your parents? Because I'm going to tell you, I'm not sure it gets any easier as you get older. Um, It just can be hard. But God's word speaks to this idea. In principle, we're going to look at that. But let me give you just a little preview of where we're headed uh, between now and the end of the year. So next week, we're going to do something at Four Corners we have never done. Something we've never done. We're going to do a message series that, that we've done once before. We've never repeated a message series in 11 years. We were 11 years old just a few weeks ago. We've never repeated a message series. But when Four Corners started 11 years ago, the second message series we ever did was a message series called Rooted. And what we did is we looked at the various streams of the Christian faith, kind of as the roots of the tree 
That's the metaphor of the image, the roots of the tree that God was kind of building in our community here. And so we looked at the various streams. And so next week, Pastor Andy is going to kick off uh, the Rooted Message series. And we're going to look at, for instance, over about six weeks, we're going to look at one specific idea. Here today, right now, what can this community of followers of Jesus, what can this church learn from the various streams of Christianity? We're not going to be debating the differences, although there are huge differences in the various streams of Christianity. We're not going to be criticizing the differences, although that's valid to do. Those conversations are important. We're going to ask, however, how can we benefit from understanding that stream more fully? So next week when Pastor Andy talks, he's going to talk about Catholicism. A lot of folks in this room have a Catholic background. Is there anything that followers of Jesus today at Four Corners can benefit from with Catholicism as we measure it against God's word? And the answer is very simply. And then, and then we're going to talk about Lutheranism and Presbyterianism or Reformed theology and Methodism and Baptist. And then we're going to deal with uh, the, the charismatic movement. And so I want you to make it a high priority to be here. Because here's what it's going to do for you. It's going to help you understand how we fit into the stream of what God is doing. It's going to explain for you, for a lot of you in ways you've never had, how your stream has contributed to all that God is doing in this world. And you're going to be equipped, even if you're not, you're going to be equipped to talk to your friends about their background in ways that you are not yet equipped in hopes that we can spur them on to engaging God in deeper and more tangible ways that will make a difference in their life. I am so excited about the Rooted Message series. You don't want to miss next week, and I would like for you to invite a friend. All right, now let's talk about adult parents. So several years ago, I had a unique opportunity. I got to hang out for a day and a half with several high-profile, powerful businessmen and women from Cincinnati. And we were going through a a bit of a seminar together, and it was put on by an organization that was into developing people. And this organization had at its helm a leader who was uh, devoutly Christian, like just really loved Jesus. And his assumption, because he had earned his millions, his assumption was that after he had earned his millions, he wasn't fully satisfied. And he believed as he engaged other people who were doing incredibly well on a lot of different levels of life, that what was missing in a lot of their lives was an active relationship with God. And so he began to talk to them from his perspective as an accomplished leader and business person about the intangible side of life, they all knew the tangible, money, dollars, cents. They all knew about things and acquiring and, and, and selling off. They knew all that. But he began to talk to them about the internal side of things like family dynamics, like about caring for your emotions and about spiritual stuff. It was incredibly interesting to me, a guy with a pastor background, sitting in a room with people who come from a very different perspective, whose lives are consumed with high-pressured uh, power uh, brokering and, 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 and moving you know, major assets around. It was incredibly interesting for me to sit in a room and kind of watch them engage stuff that I tend to do a lot, like encourage people to do that stuff. And, and somewhere in the middle, the conversation began to go like this. The relationship you have with your parents has a dramatic impact on you spiritually. Now, by spiritually, they weren't in that conversation specifically talking about um, just Christianity. Just what they meant was spiritually in the more um, Oprah sense, just, you know, kind of emotionally. 
Uh, that's kind of what they bet, right? Now, now the leader kind of knew more, but he was just trying to get people to lean in a bit. The, the kind of relationship you had with your parents, what you think about that, how you reflect about that, how that impressed you has a dramatic impact on you spiritually. And I'm sitting there as a pastor going, yes, it does. It does. I mean, I, I remember chatting with girls when I was a high school um, chaplain at a private school, and they would talk about their struggles in life, and the conversation very often, without me even prompting, would naturally go to their interaction with their mom and dad. And I begin to notice a correlation between the kind and quality of relationship they have with their parents and their receptivity and enjoyment of their spiritual journeys. It was as if there was a connection between the idea of a heavenly father and an experience with an earthly father. So I'm sitting in this conference and this guy begins to um, engage these people who have incredibly diverse backgrounds. Not even all of them are Christian. And he's talking about the role of a father in emotional and spiritual well-being. The role, the impact of a mother in emotional and spiritual well-being. Now, all of the people in this room, they're adults. Most of them are in their 40s or more. I mean, a lot of them have gray hair. And then he does something really unique and just kind of kind of interesting for me. And I'm kind of watching this, this thing engage. And, you know, he's been talking a lot about money and stuff like that. But when he started talking about family dynamics and fathering and the impact that mothering has on a person, people leaned in. So then he says, all right, I need you to all stand up. In a relatively small group. We're going to break into a couple groups. We're going to create circles with our chairs. All right, so take about half the chairs in the room, half the seats, put them in circles, two different circles, and uh, make sure every seat is filled, and behind every seat, somebody is standing. So you got the image, two big circles, circle, circle, every seat is filled, and behind every chair is also somebody standing. And then he asks this question. It's a question I want to lead out with you, and he says, what do you wish your father would have said to you? What is the one thing you would have loved to have heard your father say to you? And you can see people just processing. What what, what do I wish my father? Some of them, their fathers had passed. Some of them had never met their fathers. Some of them have had more traditional experiences, you know, a lot of good, some bad, but all of them, literally every, I'm sitting in a seat, every one of us are leaned in and we're asking ourselves, what, if we could have our choice, if we could have uh, written a part of our history in our family of origin, what's one thing we wish we would have heard from our fathers? And then he says this, all right, all you guys in the seats, close your eyes. So I'm sitting in the seat, I close my eyes, I'm like, I don't know where this is going, I'm feeling awkward, like I'm looking around, is everybody else doing it, I'm kind of doing the peek through thing, you know? You know, you do that, like everybody close your eyes, you used to do this in church, and I was going, everybody close your eyes, and we do this, and I'd be like, what are we about to do, you know? Uh, so everybody closes your eyes, then he says, here's what we're going to do. The person's standing behind the people in the seats, I want you to lean forward when I say go. And I want you to whisper in the ear of the person sitting in that seat the one thing you wish your father had said to you. He said, don't get started. We'll do it when I say go. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, all right, now move. And everybody take one step to the right. And then I want you to whisper that same thing that you wish your father would have said to you in the ear of the person sitting in that seat. So the people in the seat stay seated. The people behind them move around. He said, in about every 10, 15 seconds, I'll say move. I don't know, maybe 20, 25 seats in each circle. 
And he says, all right, go. And I'm sitting in my seat, and this guy I don't know, you know, from some company I'm not that familiar with, relationship, and he leans down and he says the thing that he wished his father would have said to him. I'll tell you what it is, because I never forgot it. He said, you can do what you want, and I'll support you. And that doesn't sound that profound, right? But for this guy, he had a chance to reflect on what the one thing, and what he wanted was to hear his father say to him, I'll support you in your choices. I don't know what made this guy think about that and why that was so important, but it was important. And I remember it, the moment was like pregnant, if you will. I mean, it was just, this was a moment. And then then the facilitator says, all right, move. And the next, it was a woman. She leans down and she says, I think you're beautiful. Now, after that, I don't remember. Because one by one, every five, 10 seconds, there were this, this cacophony of phrases that adult kids wished their parents would have said to them. I mean, with just four or five in, I'm, tears are running down my cheeks, and I don't even know these people. And what do you wish? What do you wish your father, your mother, would have said to you? Because you all know like I know. We're not maybe psychologists in the room. Maybe you are. We're, we're not counselors. Perhaps you are. Most of us are not. But you know there is an intricate connection between our experience with our parents and the well-being of our soul. Whether you're Christian or not, you know this. Parents, you know it's true. That's why you want to be a good parent. Even when you're a bad parent, You long to be a good parent. It's why when you have those moments of being a bad parent like me, you feel so much like dirt. Because you know it really matters. You know it because experientially you had an experience with your family. Maybe the dad was absent, but that defines your experience with your father. A lot of times I encounter people where the father's present, but they're not really there. For various reasons. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a work thing. Maybe they're just emotionally distant. Our heavenly father designed this world in such a way that the dynamic we've been discussing would necessarily be true. And he put incredible weight and responsibility and privilege on the role of parents in their kids. A lot of Bible verses deal with it. For instance, here's one, right? Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Here's here's what it says. Honor your father and your mother that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and mother. Now, this is the, the very first commandment. It's the fifth of the Ten Commandments, but it's the very first commandment in the Bible where we're given an explanation why we should do what the commandment's telling us to do. Like, there was this understanding in the Old Testament before Jesus that if God speaks, you just do it. And, and people kind of generally rallied around that idea. Now, sometimes they did it, sometimes they didn't, but they knew if God tells us to do it, we should just do it. But in the middle of the 10 commandments, the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God has given you. It was the first time God gave a commandment and explained the benefit or the why to do it. 
And this, this has tripped up scholars for years. Like, why is this the only Ten Commandment that tells you that if you do what God's telling you to do, there's going to be a benefit? And so over the years, scholars, both Jewish and then later Christian and even modern scholars, talk about the heart of God in this commandment is, is he wants this dynamic, parents and kids, to go incredibly well. Because the stakes are high. And one of the ways that the stakes are high is that your experience as a people, it wasn't commandments to individuals, there was a commandment to the whole group. Your experience as a people will go better when the parent and child dynamic is healthy and right. And in specifically, kids are honoring their parents. The other thing that scholars looked in on this, and this is very interesting, is that all through the Bible, God commands us to do things. Specifically, he commands us to love. When you get to the New Testament, Jesus says things like, love your enemies. He says, love those that do you wrong. He says, love the stranger in the Old and New Testament. But when it comes to parents, God tells kids to honor, not love, their parents. And scholars are like, what's going on there? And it's almost as if, God realized that there might be a family dynamic such that it's incredibly emotionally or psychologically difficult to love your parents. So what do you do when you don't want to love your parents? The commandment tells us when parents perhaps aren't even lovable, you still honor your parents and you have a practical reason for doing so because if you honor your parents, life will go better for you. Love your enemies. Love the stranger, (laughs) honor your parents. As if there's this accommodation, even in the written word of God, for the emotional messiness that can happen in families. That's not the only thing that the Bible says, for instance, to children about their parents. Ephesians 6, and it's repeated about four other times. I just pulled this one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We looked at this passage a couple weeks ago. If you weren't here, you can jump online and see that message. And it's interesting. Obey and honor. Obey and honor. Let's talk about adult kids for a bit, all of us in the room. How do we apply the obey honor principle? Because they don't have in the scripture an expiration date. They don't, for instance, say, honor your parents, obey your parents. When you turn 18, you're now an adult and the relationship shifts. You no longer have an obligation to honor, obey. That's just not there. So what do you do with that? Let me give you just some kind of practical stuff on this. And then we're gonna turn about, you know, the role of parents to their kids. Right now we're talking kind of kids to the parents, all right? Here's a couple things. I think it's obvious when you read the totality of scripture that kids who are not yet adults, becoming adult kids who are not yet adults, the the weight is on the word obey. You know, when parents say it, you do it. I wish my kids were mature enough, for instance, to simply read the text of scripture and hear the words of God to them, obey your parents. And then of course, that would be the end of my responsibility to discipline them and train them. They would just do what's right because I speak it. And I would speak and flowers would come out of my mouth and they would catch them. And that's just not, not the way it works. But, but that is the command. And we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, creating an environment where that's easier and all that stuff matters. But when it comes to adult kids, even with their aging parents or 
perhaps in the room, the memory of your parents. I never thought I'd, tangibly, I never thought about having to say it that way. I lost my mom a, a couple years ago. So I, I can't engage her. I, I can't honor her in, in a definitive face-to-face kind of way. So when it comes to like younger kids, I think the word obey gets the emphasis. But as we age, as we become adults, the emphasis seems to be on honor. That, it, that it's okay to have your own life. In fact, you should. It's okay to change the rules that you grew up with into the rules that you're going to do life with. That, in fact, that's healthy. But the obligation, the responsibility, and in fact, the privilege, because this is what this commandment gets to, the privilege of honoring parents never goes away, even though it can be incredibly difficult sometimes. In fact, how do you honor somebody who's not acting very honorable? How do you do that? Should you do it? In what manner should you do it? What are the limitations of doing it? The Bible doesn't get into all that. It elevates the standard and says, followers of Jesus. So, so there's a dividing line. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't accept the Bible as authoritative. To some degree, you're free to ignore this, right? If you're a follower of Jesus and the Bible's authoritative, to some degree, we're obligated to this. What does it mean to honor our parents? Well, let's talk a little bit about what it doesn't mean. Honoring our parents, for instance, doesn't mean that you have to go back as this adult person to groveling or seeking their approval again. See, God wants to set people free from the sickness of people-pleasing. You know what people-pleasing is, right? It's where you desperately want everybody around you to think well of you. That's okay. Not a bad motivation. People-pleasing, though, tips the scale, not in the direction of, man, I wish everybody would think well of me, but I'm going to align my life, my time, my behavior, my words to ensure, to guarantee that everybody thinks well of me. The Bible puts a low value on people-pleasing. In fact, it says, for instance, to people like me, pastors, people-pleasing pastors will ruin their churches. They will. Because the congregants idea always has to come subservient to the ideas of God. And yet in church work, it's very easy to let people that you interact with speak louder than the very words of God to you. So the the Bible says to pastors, don't be people pleasers. But not just to pastors, to every follower of Jesus, God's values have to be. And so the good news for those of us that are adult kids, everybody in this room, is it's okay to want the pleasure of your parents It's not okay to trade away your integrity, to not have a voice, to become less so that you can keep your parents happy or perhaps your in-laws happy. That's not what the idea of honor in the Bible is all about. God wants to break people free of the people-pleasing tendency, even if that's to your parents. Honor trumps pleasing. Sometimes they're in alignment. Sometimes when you honor, you please. Sometimes when you please, you honor. But there's a way to try to please that's not honoring to you or your parents. That's actually propping up a dysfunction. That is not what God's calling us to as adult kids in engaging our parents. Honoring your parents doesn't mean that you make yourself vulnerable 
to hurtful behavior. It's legitimate as you grow up to set boundaries, to say, in my family, with my dad, with my mom, this dynamic didn't go well. For instance, they didn't fight fair. We had knockout, knockdown dragouts. Words were tossed around as if they didn't matter. I mean, we said anything and everything. And my otherwise nice mom, nice dad, when there was conflict, boom, it was like a soldier going through boot camp. And it's okay then as an adult kid to say, we're not doing that. And we're also not going to engage in an environment where that happens. In fact, boundaries with parents can be an incredible way that you begin to honor the role I've struggled with this idea of honoring when people aren't honorable. I've struggled with that. And I've met some friends that were in the military. And one time, I was in a small group with this guy that was at MacDill Air Force Base. Jill and I were living in Tampa, and he was an up-and-coming, you know, rising officer in the Air Force. And I, I said, you know, when you have to walk by and salute people, like, is that ever hard? He's like, yeah. How do you do it? He said, well, you don't salute the person. You salute the office. You don't salute the person. You salute the position. And I thought, oh, now now I think we're getting to kind of how this honor thing works. It's why God says, for instance, to wives to honor your husbands. Not because they're always honorable, but because there's something honorable in the position. This is, I think, a similar tool that we can use for understanding how do we engage our parents? How do we, because here's the thing. You're not responsible for how your parents parented. You are responsible for how you treat them in light of the way they parented. In fact, it's incredibly freeing to not let the way they parented you have a direct impact on the way you engage them, the world around you, and ultimately your heavenly father. That's higher level thinking. I know, I know we come to church and we want quick and easy, but This is kind of higher level engagement that is deeply spiritual and biblical. That our heavenly father calls us to not just go with an emotional response, but to do something else because you're like me. You're like everybody else in this room and you deeply wanted or now maybe still want, if it's even possible, a vibrant, alive relationship with your parents. And that's good, but sometimes they make it incredibly hard to do that. So does that mean you're stuck? Well, to some degree, it may never, this may be a lifelong process, but you're not stuck in what God calls you to do, which is to bring honor to them, not necessarily their behavior, their words, their missteps, but to them. To honor does not mean to ignore the past. Of course you can ignore the past. Of course you can't ignore the past. The past is there. You can't unwrite it. It doesn't mean you have to say they didn't hurt me. They didn't abuse me. They didn't disappoint me. All that's probably, even the best of parents have disappointed their kids. What this this means for the parents in the room is right now, your kids are to some degree disappointed. If not, they will be. They're going to be sitting around the room with their 20-something friends talking about you. It's going to happen. They're going to be drinking wine, having a great meal, and the entire conversation is going to be how bad their parents are. It's happening or it's already happened. It's okay. It's all right. You can't ignore all that. But you're also not stuck in it. Honoring rises above that. Here's, here's the idea of honoring. It's, it's bringing humility to the, 
to the relationship. It's bringing kindness to the relationship. It's bringing grace to the relationship. When a person in the Bible was honored, they were given the seat of prominence at the table. It was a cultural thing. End of the table, softest cushions. They typically ate kind of reclining. And the position of honor was given to the patriarch or the matriarch. And the image there is, is that they may not have deserved it, but we acknowledge that. I'm trying to keep the tension alive enough because I know that as I talk like this, there's a lot of hurt in the room. There is. And when I ask the question, what is the one thing you wish your father would have said to you? I mean, if you pause it all on that, there's often a sense of loss or regret or a longing for something that maybe now is not even possible. And yet there's God's words to us to honor. And that somehow as we honor, it impacts our own being, our own experience, our own enjoyment, Our lives go better in the land that the Lord our God is giving us. So we don't honor for them. They are the recipient. We honor because God calls us to. And then when we honor, it it benefits us. Honoring, it means to choose to place great value on our relationship with our parents. And some of us in the room have tried that didn't work. Others of us are in the middle of it and it's kind of working. Some few of us have had an incredible relationship. But one thing we all do is we all care about this. That's good. In fact, when you stop caring, something in here is not functioning. We don't care sometimes because we're overloaded. We don't care sometimes. We try not to care at least because The pain is so great. Sometimes we don't care because we feel powerless to do anything. And now we're on deeply spiritual ground. We're on deeply spiritual ground. Because it's in our moments of powerlessness, when hurt has piled up, when disappointment is there, when needs aren't met, That the voice of our, not just our earthly father or mother, but our heavenly father can ring most true. That while our earthly mothers and fathers probably weren't all that they needed to be, in fact, I can guarantee you that they were not, our heavenly father is fully sufficient. And while our earthly fathers disappoint, let us down, and actually set a framework by which we interpret the world, Our heavenly father, objectively, according to the scriptures, has provided all that we need. And you see this no more than in the person of Jesus. When he sends his one and only son, boy, that parent dynamic. And he makes a way for us, not because we were good, but because he loved us. Not because we had earned anything or that we would earn anything, but simply because he wanted a relationship with us. God, our heavenly father, bestowed incredible honor and dignity on us by loving us when we were unlovable, by honoring us with his actions when we were unhonorable. And he sets a pattern. And he says, it's not just about them, but somehow you will be more free. And he said, for instance, that Jesus would have a profound impact on this. 
There's an incredible passage, the last words of our Old Testament in the book of Malachi. The very last words of the Old Testament. When these words are spoken chronologically in time, no more Bible is written for 400 years. God's about to go dark. And the light's only going to turn on 400 years later when Jesus shows up on the scene. So the last words of the Bible carry a certain weight of the Old Testament, carry a certain weight to them. Because it's the last for 400 years. In Malachi chapter 4, the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament, verses 4 through 6, the last two verses of the Old Testament, here's what it says. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. The Ten Commandments were given at Mount Horeb. Remember the Ten Commandments and all that God said. That's what he's saying, remember. And in the middle of the Ten Commandments, there's number five, honor your parents. And then he says, now this is, this is a prophet talking about some future events. He says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. The idea is that the Lord is going to come. And when he comes, right is going to be celebrated, wrong is going to be punished. And it's a day to fear. It's a day to fear in part because all of us have been on the wrong side of that equation. So when the great and dreadful day produces a sense of awe and wonder and on the negative side, a little dread and concern comes, here's what I'm going to send Elijah. Now, Elijah was a major prophet and here's what Elijah did. He prepared people to hear God's voice. We know when we read the New Testament that Elijah specifically is John the Baptist. Jesus calls John the Baptist Elijah. The prophet Malachi is talking about, I'm going to send Elijah, and he's going to get people ready to hear from God. And then John the Baptist says, I'm going to quit talking. Everybody should listen to Jesus now. I'm going to become less. He becomes more. And literally, John the Baptist paves the way for Jesus. This is what Malachi is talking about. Verse 6, he will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. When the, when the one coming to prepare people to receive the word of God, when he comes, when he does his work, he's going to help do one thing tangibly. Dads and moms' hearts are going to be returned to their kids, and the hearts of kids are going to be returned to their parents. And then it says, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. We read that and we're like, oh my gosh, God's so like angry. But, but really... What's going on here, he's giving a warning in hopes that that the warning is heeded and this bad thing doesn't come at all. He says effectively, we can have a situation where dad's hearts aren't towards their kids and kids' hearts aren't towards their parents and that is gonna release destruction. Or we can get ready to receive God's word fully and we'll know we're ready when our hearts are turned towards one another. That this is to be the early evidence. So it breaks the heart of God when families are at odds. And every family is at odds to some degree. Or you're living in denial, which is not a river in Egypt, but I'm above. Every family is at odds. And yet God says here, the last word of the Old Testament, when Jesus comes, here's how you know it's getting traction. Dad's hearts are turned towards kids. Kids' hearts are turned towards dad. How does the heart of a father get turned towards? Three quick ideas. How does the heart of a child get turned back to the parents? 
Now, this won't apply to everybody because some of us have already lost a parent or both, or we never really had any way of knowing them. They were just gone. But, but the first one is the idea of time. Time. When I talk to older adults, and I used to do ministry in Florida. We did a lot of older adult ministry. In fact, I led the older adult ministries, which meant I did a lot of funerals. And that's not meant to be funny. It's just true. I, we, I would do 70 funerals a year. Crazy. Just crazy. When I would talk to these people, <laughs> what they would say about their relationship with their adult kids, is it just seems like they're so busy. I just wish they would call every once in a while. It's like a simple act of picking up a phone. So like knowing that then, as my parents have aged, one thing I've tried to do right is make time. And so often in the car, I call my dad. So I, what I do now when my mom is alive, I call my mom or my dad. But there's something about the, the time you invest. Here's another thing that we can do as, as, a, as a way of turning our hearts towards our parents or, or having our kids turn their hearts towards us. Here's something they can do. They can pray. They can pray. And pray for the relationship. Pray God's heart over the relationship. Pray specifically about the needs. I'm going to go back to what Pastor Andy taught us in week two. Praying with your family is an incredible gift to make a dysfunctional family take steps towards functionality. I mentioned kind of with tearful eyes my joy and pride at my daughter who is even like right now leading worship at another church, her first kind of real job and she's doing worship and I'm like, I guess I didn't totally screw her up or, or, or she's going to go there and do it better. I don't know. I don't know how, you know, what all is going on there. But, but just the first Sunday, Jill literally grabbed her hand and said, I'm going to pray with you. What are you praying about? What do you want God to do? And Jill let Ellen's concerns populate her prayer. Parents, that's a gift you have to give your kids. What's on your heart? What's got you concerned? And let your prayers begin there. I'll tell you a little secret. If I ever come visit you in the hospital, I will say to you two things. What are the doctors telling you? Because I want to know. And then I'll ask you, how do you want me to pray? And as you speak your concerns, your hope, your fears, it tells me where to engage. I learned that doing hospital visits as an intern in ministry. And it's my number one go-to parenting engagement spiritually. What are you asking God for? What do you hope for? Let's pray about that right now. When they were young, it seemed incredibly silly. And I'm going to tell you... parents with adult kids, it's incredibly powerful, no matter what kind of a parent you were, to look at your adult kids and say, how can I pray for you? What are you hoping for? What's on your mind? What's your concern? Ministry leaders, say this to your team. What can I pray for you about? How are you praying? What's on your heart? Let their heart populate your concern. This is turning the hearts of the fathers back to the kids. Everybody in the room here, this is an incredible way to engage your parents and honor them. What's on your mind? What are you worried about? And they're going to tell you about all the pills they're taking and the doctor visits. And you heard it all yesterday, but let them talk. And then you just close your eyes and you let their words fill your prayers. And what happens then is hearts get soft and we're going to move together and What's at stake here, parents, is is that we're setting 
the pace for how our kids will engage God. And what they may never know unless we show them is that their heavenly father is intricately concerned with what's on their heart. What they worry about, what their dreams are. And I've got a a 20-something daughter who almost has her path figured out, but there's still a little scariness there. And so, honey, what, what are you wanting to do? Well, I don't really know, but I think, well, let's just pray on what you know and pray about the unknown and rally around that heart. There's time, there's prayer. And then, and then the last thing I would say about how we can meld our hearts together is there is this intersection of just being there. Time, phone calls, some events here and there, Christmas, Thanksgiving's coming up. That could be a lot of fun for some of us. For some of us, it will, I hope and I'm praying, it will be the turn in the right direction. There's prayer. And then there is just kind of being there emotionally for them. And this can be incredibly hard. The word I would like to use is becoming an agent of reconciliation. This is what our Heavenly Father did for us. He initiated the rejoining of a broken relationship. And you can bring this gift to your family, to your parents, to your kids, wherever there's tension. You can be the one saying, there's tension, I'm going to step in it. There's awkwardness, I'm going to be there. This is a situation that would, in, uh, would benefit from a kind word or an encouraging word or, or maybe no words. And I'm going to provide the vehicle, the gas, the fuel for reconciliation, for a rejoining of the relationship. And in doing this, let me, let me tell you what you do. Here's what you get. It will go well for you as you live in the land. Because all of us care. You care. I care. We all care. We've said we don't care from time to time. But we do. And we should. In fact, our Heavenly Father pulls us in. Because He cared. Even when we didn't care about Him, He was caring for us. And we get to do this. I don't know the entire secret of great relationships as adults with our adult parents. I don't know how to come to their funerals without a basket full of regrets. But I know that if I'll put some time in, if I'll take their concerns as my own, specifically through prayer, and I carry their concerns with them, bear their burdens with them, dream with them, and and if I will become the fuel for reconciliation, I know that I'm setting myself up as best as I can to my kids who are becoming adults, to my parents who are getting older. I'm doing the best I can to make sure that the hearts of the parents and the hearts of the children are turned towards each other. And I know that that's ultimately what God wants. And here's how I know it, because he chose to use the last words of the Old Testament to tell us that's what was on his heart and his mind. And I think it still is. And as we conclude this message series, what I want for you more than anything is for you to demonstrate the love of your heavenly father in your family, to your kids, to your parents, to your siblings. It is hard, yes. It will cost you, yes. Yes, grow up, come on, of course. Of course it will. It won't be fun. But it will go well for you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. I'm going to hold to that, and you can too. So why don't we take out our Connect cards and take a few steps together as a congregation. 
I've been talking a lot about God's heart for us, but it's possible that you're in the room and you don't yet have a relationship with him. Here's the good news. He already loves you and he wants one. And the Bible says that if you'll confess Jesus is Lord and believe that in your heart, you are in effect declaring him, not just the Lord of the universe, but you want him to be the Lord of your life. The Bible says in that you can be saved. That is, you can have a relationship. The relationship can be restored. The way we do it around here is we ask you to take your connect card and that pen and check next step A. And it says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. Or he's the forgiver, the Savior, and the leader or the Lord of your life. We'd ask you to check that box and in a moment pray with me. Perhaps use my words, uh, borrow them or use your own. Look up to God and say, God, I, I want a relationship with you. And at the end of our service, you take this card and just put it in the offering bucket and we'll communicate with you about that. I'm not going to hound you. I just want you to know what it is to begin a healthy, vibrant, and alive relationship with your heavenly Father. Or next step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. If you have questions about baptism, want to know, you think you're in that direction, check the box that begins a conversation. And one of our team members will reach out to you. Last week we celebrated just a beautiful, beautiful time of people who are not ashamed of Jesus. And they went under the water and came back up. The water ran off of them and symbolizing the washing of new life that God brings us. And this family here, this church family celebrated with them. And if you haven't done that, check the box and let us communicate with you. Here's something I'd like for you to do. This is a way of hiding God's word in your heart. Maybe today your next step is, is you're gonna with me memorize Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And here's what Exodus 20, verse 12 says. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Why? Because it works for me. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it because it's obedience to God. I'm gonna do it because it's the right thing. And I'm gonna do it because God says when I do those things, there is a very tangible benefit practical benefit to me. So by memorizing this, we hide that word in our heart that we may not sin against God. It directs our path. If you check it, put the offering bucket, I'll communicate with you this week about it. Or here's next step D. Here's what it says. Maybe you want to join me in praying this prayer every morning this week. I don't know if this is for everybody. Here's what it says. Heavenly Father, help me to forgive. Help me to forgive. Guard my heart from bitterness. And help me to let go of the anger that comes from seeing myself as a victim. Maybe you were a victim. Maybe God wants to heal. God showed us how to forgive. And he can help you. He can turn your heart back to your family, back to the relationship. He can heal a heart when that person is already gone and maybe there's no possible way to even have her. He can heal and restore. Forgiveness is about you, not about the other person. And by asking God to help you, he will. If you'll check this box, I'll send the prayer to you. And you can join me praying this prayer every day this week. And here's next step B. I'll invite a friend to join me for our new message series called Rooted. Your Catholic friends, your Lutheran friends, your Reformed friends, they're going to enjoy knowing the honor and the dignity we give to that stream of Christianity. As we ask a very simple question, God, what can we learn from them? How would you like to use that tradition to impact us, to make us more like God, and to honor Jesus more. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for being an incredible, incredible Father. And God, where we have been imperfect in our engagements of our families, you have never faltered. God, our prayer 
is that we wouldn't just feel a sense of awe or guilt or shame, but your spirit would enable and empower us to move forward on what we've heard. That you would turn our hearts, that honor and dignity would rise up in this place. That parents in this room and parents not in this room would receive incredible joy, deep emotional satisfaction, and a profound sense of love as we honor like perhaps we've never honored before. We give this to you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.